If you want to know, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5 and the time together today. Uh, I want to go back to this anniversary because it was been special. A lot of people haven't even made 50 in the sense of years. Uh, I, I do have to thank so much my staff who planned all this up front along with some of my family, my kids, my boys and my girls. And, and uh, yesterday for three hours, people came in by the dozens and dozens. I had cousins drive all the way from Ardmore and up in here, and I, I would just, my wife and I were honored beyond measure. I thank you so much for that. Uh, not only my staff, I want to thank my daughters in love, is what I call them, Michelle and Shelly's back home in the West Texas Panhandle, and all of you that helped them. Uh, all the food, all the decoration, it looked beautiful. How many of you know it takes a lot of work to put it up, and it takes a lot of work to serve it, and it takes a lot of work to take it down? All of you involved in that, please accept my heartfelt uh, thanks for that. I thank you for honoring us. 50 years, I, I've said it, it's, I, Linda and I married when we were still being formed. We were babies, and uh, literally... <laughs> <laughs> we were literally still be informed, at least between the ears. Uh, at least I was. At least I was. I don't know about my wife. <laughs> I, I want to uh, just, we, we must have gotten 50, 60 cards yesterday. And, and uh, I just want to say thank you for coming yesterday. If you came, you just made our day. We were so honored. I, I will be honest with you. It was an extremely emotional moment for me when one of our young ladies, 23 years of age, who is engaged to be married this December, came in with her fiance. She has been diagnosed with stage four cancer in all kinds of pain. To be honest with you, unless the Lord undertakes, medicine can't do anything for her, feeling and all that, and she walked in that door to honor my wife and I on 50 years. I want to tell you, you can't put a price on those kind of treasures. And I want you to pray that God would just give a miracle to Larissa. Uh, I, I believe God can do anything. Amen? And I want us to... I just haven't gotten over it. And her parents are here today. Larry, Vanessa, God bless you. I, I receive a lot of cards. I, I wanted to share one with you. Uh, uh, it's simple, but it has some profound things. Let me just read it for you just quickly. It says, a walk down the aisle is easy. It's a walk through life with its up and downs, the scenic byways that makes a marriage one of the happiest, most rewarding adventures there is. And ladies and gentlemen, the, the, the altar of vows are easy. It's that long stretch that's the job, amen? But I thank my wife. Uh, I do not know why she put up with me for the first 10 20, let's see, 30, okay, I'll just say 50 years, but I sure am glad you did. I still think you're one of the prettiest things I've ever seen in my life, and I love you in case you didn't know it. <laughs> I also got this in a card, so give me a little room here. An older couple lying in bed one morning, just awakened from a good night's sleep, she, he took her, his wife's hand and she said, don't touch me. Why not, he asked. She answered back, because I'm dead. And the husband said, what are you talking about? We're both here. We're talking to each other. Nope, I'm definitely dead. He said, you're not dead. What in the world makes you think you're dead? She said, because I just woke up this morning. 
I, let me make sure I get this right. I just woke up this morning and nothing hurts. <laughs> Only fellow travelers understand that. Only fellow travelers understand that. <laughs> I, I left... Yesterday I had a message, different message planned. I'd gone through several things. And I will just tell you that after yesterday, I just couldn't get it off my mind. I wanted to, to be honest with you, I want to try to pour some concept into you, maybe for my wife and I, for 50 years. Um, Linda and I, when we, we met when we were 15 years old at church camp, and we met at July 19 at 4 o'clock, and at July 19 at 8 o'clock, Four years and four hours later, we married, and uh, it's been a, been a story. Uh, when we met, let me just declare that we had much to learn about everything. How many remember being 15? How many remember being 18? Aren't you glad that you're improving? At least hopefully. Let me just say that when my, my wife and I, when we were teenagers and we married... We mar- I was 19, she was 18. We were, we were uh, typical, I guess. Uh, but let me say we were very mature in some areas. Because we were raised in a much rougher time. I, I was raised on a farm and then 15 miles into town, my dad had a body shop and all I knew was work. And, but I will just tell you that by the time we married, we were quite responsible in some areas of life. Uh, we, we were resp- I, I was telling the first church, I'll never forget, when I was 14 years of age, my dad put me in a two-ton international truck hauling nine full-grown cattle, and I drove about 60 miles south to Ardmore to the Red River uh, cattle auction. I was 14 years of age driving that truck there and back. I just ask you, don't raise your head. I just wonder how many 14-year-olds you'd do that with today. Of course, it's against the law, so don't. Um, we were taught to respect. This may sound like a foreign language, but when my wife and I married in those times when I was 12, 14, 18, 20, everybody that was older than me was my boss. And I mean I was taught to respect anybody that had a gray hair. And uh, I just that's just how it was. We were supposed to mind everybody that told us anything. And I will say this. We were serious toward God because all I learned from the time I was in church till the time I married was one thing. Not only know God, but find the will of God for your life. And we sought the will of God for our lives. I believe God deserves first choice at every life in this room. Find the will of God and get in. It's the only place you'll ever know real joy and happiness I want to take time on this occasion this morning to talk, and, and it's going to be fun. Hopefully, it's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, I mean, it's hopefully going to be fun, not uncomfortable. But maybe it'll be good if it's uncomfortable, too. But it's important. How many of you know marriage is important? 4,000 years at least before God established the church, He established marriage, and it's important. So Ephesians 5, if you'd like to turn with me, we'll have it on the screen. Ephesians 5, I'm going to just tell you up front, it's God's picture of marriage. It's important. Read with me. I want to talk some things as we go. Verse 22, Ephesians 5. It talks about husbands and wives. Starts with the wives. Wives, submit 
to your own husbands. Notice the prepositional phrase. It doesn't just say you submit to that husband. It says as unto the Lord. This is not rigidity here. This is principle. For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church and is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Ladies, here's another prepositional phrase. In how much? Everything. Men, you should shout. But you're afraid to. (laughs) In everything. We're going to talk about that a little later. Husbands, love your wives. Watch this prepositional phrase. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, and that he might present her for himself a glorious church. Here's what this is saying. Show me a man, ladies, who will absolutely love you supremely above and beyond himself or anything else and give himself for it, lay his life down to see that she has a better life than he does. I'll show you, gentlemen, a lady who doesn't have much problem submitting to somebody who absolutely loves them to the core. And this is all about a principle. And when it says in verse 27 that he, Christ, might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle, but should be holy without blemish, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Here's what this means. Guys, you have a full-time job working to see that this garden called your wife flourishes. Ladies, say amen. Good night. You get a chance like that, don't blow it. <laughs> Verse 29. For whoever hated, whoever hated his own flesh, but for no one hates her own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes just the Lord did the church. Look at this. For we are members of the body of his flesh and his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And that's not just talking about sexual intimacy. It's talking about mind, body, soul, and spirit. But verse 32 is the picture of marriage for God. Watch this. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Our marriages are supposed to be a physical picture in this world of our relationship with Christ as the groom and we are the bride. I love to say this. The first time I got married, I was the groom. The next time I get married, I'm going to be the bride because I'm in love with Jesus and he's my groom. What a great story this is. I want you to get this picture. Our lives are supposed to reflect. Our marriages are supposed to reflect our relationship with God. Lord, be with us today. Nothing more important than healing of the family in this world. I pray that you be honored and our lives be changed by your word. Amen. I want to declare to you at the heart of any true, truly strong marriage is a genuine Christianity. Because it is God who established the family and it is God who established that 
relationship between men and women and himself. How many remember when you were here a few, about three or four weeks ago from this pulpit, I said the word junior high. I was corrected rudely by somebody. Can't remember who it is, aren't you glad? I, was, I said junior high. It's called middle school and I know that. How many of you didn't know that? Okay, so nobody's as ignorant as me. I realize it used to be called junior high. Now it's called middle school, right? How many of you remember being in junior high or middle school and Maybe I'm archaic here. Maybe I just don't. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm too. I remember we used to take pictures at school. Do they still take pictures at school? Do they? And you remember you used to get them. Now, of course, they're in color today. When I was in school, they were in black and white. That ought to tell you something about me. But we would get them in sheets. How many remember getting pictures in sheets? Do the, to the, what do they do today? Hand them to you on a cloud and they float down and have gold all over them? I don't know. I just know you used to get them in sheets, and we used to cut them up, you know, all these pictures. They'd have the school and the year on it, and we'd cut them up in sheets, and we couldn't afford very many of them, so maybe we had about 10 or 12, and we would cut them up, and we'd go, wow, and we were going to give them away. How many of you remember your first crush on somebody? What is wrong with you? Don't you know how to love? I remember the first grade. I was in the first grade. I looked across that room. I saw this beautiful blonde-headed girl. I got weak in the knees and started slobbering. And I went, man, is that not nice or what? It was awesome. And uh, I just had this thought, I want to cut this picture out really good. And there were some little ones, and then there were some intermediates, and then there was big ones. And Mama and Grandma had to have the big ones. So this blonde-headed girl is going to get the intermediate. Boy, I wanted her to have that. We cut them up. And then just, you know, I want this special friend to have a picture. And you start exchanging them. Do all. Am I talking foreign language here? How many remember that? Thank you. You helped my heart so much. But how many of you also know that there were some you didn't want to change? You may not have had enough. But there are just some people. Listen, we're required to love each other. But we're not required to like each other. And I just didn't like somebody. I didn't want to waste a picture on somebody rather get. And you know how we go through that. And then today, I hope and pray not any of those people have any of those pictures. Because <laughs> I don't want anybody to see it. <laughs> uh, pictures are important. Some of them are special. And let me just ask you, and this happened when I was a kid, and I guess it still happens today. I don't know. But if someone took a picture that was precious to you and defiled it in some way, it would kind of hurt, and it's happened. I remember when I've seen people take magic markers, and they'll, they'll put big hair on them. God help me, I wish they'd put that on my pictures today. But they'd put big eyebrows, and they'd put mustache and a beard, you know, and they'd, some of them put horns and put big ears on them. How many of you ever seen somebody do a picture like that? I guess it still goes on. But if that was a special picture, that would upset you, would it not? And you, it's... Ephesians 5 is God's picture of marriage. And in that picture, in this picture that we read, I want every person that's married, want to be married, used to be married, going to be married, any of you, I want you to get understand this. God gave us a picture of marriage, of what it's supposed to be like in a home between a husband and a wife. Here's why. God intends that Every child sees the picture of what is a good home 
when they grow up. God gives this picture and He tends every child to get the correct image of how God has established the relationship of marriage and children and a home because so goes as the family, so goes the school and the city, and so goes the nation and eternity. I need not rehearse to you how the devil has for the last 40 or 50 years relentlessly attacked the family and has defiled the picture God has drawn for us. There are those in this world dedicated to destroy anything godly about relationships at all. But here's the good news. Whatever relationship you are in, whatever it is, you can improve it, ladies and gentlemen, young people, by improving your Christian walk. Your Christian relationship with God will improve your relationship. Quality relationships are built on quality character and integrity of those in that relationship. And the Holy Scripture teaches character and integrity. And if you will become a man or woman of character and integrity, it will improve your relationships. For example... The quality of a building depends on the quality of materials and the character and integrity of the contractor. If you want to improve your marriage and all your relationships, but we're talking about marriage, want to improve your marriage, work on improving yourself in obedience to God. Because I, I, you say, why, Pastor? Here's why. Because you can't change anybody else but you. There are people today in marriage relationships, their sole relation is to try to change their mate. And let me tell you, that they can live in hell on earth trying to get to heaven. You cannot change somebody else. You can only change yourself. And ladies and gentlemen and young people, there is, let me share something with you. There's always the event and then the process. So follow me if you will. For an example, in our, in our relationship with God, there was salvation. That's the, that's the event. And the event was Calvary. We sang about it. We've had communion. But for us, salvation and Calvary, it becomes a process. That process is our believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, and then we become Christians. The event and the process. So I want to say it this way about Christianity and marriage. To become a Christian will cost you nothing. But to become Christ-like will cost you everything about yourself. Because you must die every day on a cross that you must live for the Lord. Amen. To get married will cost you very little. Most of the time, parents pay for it. Sometimes couples pay for it. But in the sense of price, getting married will cost you little. But becoming one with your mate will cost you everything about yourself. And if you're not going into marriage with that kind of concept, don't go. Because let me tell you right up front, there's a lot of things worse than not being married, and one is being married to the wrong one. 
So I go, I'm going to give you some principles here, some pictures that I wrote. Just, just to be honest with you, after yesterday evening, I said, Lord, I'm going to do this. been on my mind, and this is fresh off the press yesterday. I'm going to give you seven pictures right quickly, and I, I hope you get them. I don't have time to develop them. I could spend four or five hours. You could say thank you, Pastor. No. Number one, picture number one, respect one another. We, we use the word respect to affect our emotions because of somebody else's actions. And granted, I believe that respect is earned. But I want to say this about respecting one another in marriage. The golden rule is gold in marriage. Most people respect only when conditions are met. So listen. Here's the golden rule. Do unto that mate as you would have them do unto you. That is respect. If, if, if that mate is suffering, what would you want to somebody do to you if you were suffering or hurting? Take care of them. Right? The golden rule is golden in marriage. Most of us, I want to say again, only respect when conditions are met. But listen, every one of us needs someone to believe in us even when we cannot believe in ourselves. I want to tell you, there's times in life, most of us in the rooms that live long enough to experience already, when we will be down, depressed, and sometimes even against ourselves, and our self-worth is absolutely at the bottom, and we struggle emotionally to even believe in ourselves. When that happens, we need somebody who will believe in us that we know for sure. And I want you to hear it. If someone knows that they're respected by another, that person that feels respected will go to great effort to retain that respect. Pastor, what do you mean? I want my wife to respect me. And when she does, I don't want to do anything to lose that respect. I want my children and I want my grandchildren to respect me. And when they do, I guard my life so that I do not destroy that respect. I want my church and I want this world to respect me as a minister. And I hold myself to a disciplined, sacrificial life that I do not lose that respect. Because that is gold. Amen. Respect one another. Number two, mutual submission. Here we go. I said we'd talk about it. We so misunderstand submission. So let me make this statement. Because self is on the throne in the society in the United States of America today, we misunderstand submission. Our society worships mainly one thing. The holy trinity of me, myself, and I. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. I want to be like I want to be. Nobody has a right to tell me anything. I live my life any way I want to. It's all about me, myself, me, I, me, I. I am on the throne of everything about my life. That is hogwash. That's the Greek for that means it's not true. The world does not spin around you. 
The world spins around the fact that God put you here for a purpose. And if you'll serve everyone else, God will exalt you because submission, ladies and gentlemen, is the way to greatness. I preached that three or four weeks ago. This Greek word actually here is hupoteso. It means this. I looked up, I looked it up, I, I, I studied it, so just, if you want to study it, fine. But listen to it. Submit. Ladies to your husbands. By the way, husbands, love, submit to your wives. Here's what it means. To arrange your attitude. Some of you might be surprised that you could arrange your attitude. How many of you know what an attitude adjustment is? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Arrange your attitude to benefit from the principle of humility. What are you talking about? Here's what the Holy Spirit wrote to Paul. He says this. Submit yourselves to each other as unto Christ. And the law of sowing and reaping will pay you big dividends. You sow that submission. You sow that service. And God will see that that pays you big dividends. I'm going to make an announcement here that some of you, it'll, you may be startled. This may be surprising. This may be surprising. I realize we're live on Facebook. It's going out everywhere. This may surprise all of you hundreds of people. Listen to this. But I have news for you. I want to share something with you. God gave your mate to you to enjoy. What? God gave you your mate to enjoy. I'm just going to sit here a minute. Spiritually, mentally, physically, socially, companionship, you're supposed to enjoy one another. That would be revival. So I'm going to hit us where we live. I've got to ask you some questions. Are you a giver or a taker? Do you demand your way all the time? Here we go. I can't wait to say this. Do you fuss and quiver and fight and argue because you're stubborn and hard-headed? Surely not. The altars are open. <laughs> Do you strive to help your spouse like you strive to serve and help yourself? I got all day. Is life about you? Or did you stand before a holy God in front of a group of people and say, I vow to you. And it's not until death do us part. It's till death do us part. It's not till incompatibility to do us part. Listen, when you said I do, you're stuck. So live with it. 
Make the best of it. It's pathetically sad. There are more divorces now in so-called the church than there is in so-called the world. We're pathetic. You pastor, wait a minute, you don't understand. Yes, I do. I, I understand it all. I've been there. I'm not trying to injure anybody. I'm trying to help us. Mutual submission. It's when somebody gets selfish that we have the problems. And submission as unto the Lord and one another is a principle. It's a picture of God. Third picture. And aren't you glad I'm off of that one? Number three, commitment. I want you to listen to this one. Romans 12 has something powerful to say about human behavior. About human behavior. And, and it's, I'm going to read it, but I want you to understand. So listen to the voice of the Spirit as he not only talks about Christians, but talks about being human. Watch this. Chapter 12, 1 in Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that's Christian people, by the mercies of God that you... I want you to turn to somebody and say, that means you. That means you. Good. Did you get there? This means you. I beseech you, therefore, that you present your bodies a living what? A living sacrifice. So I want you to hear me real closely. I realize I'm going to lose all my friends today, but this means that you can control what you do, what you think, how you act, because you're to live in a sacrificial way, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You know what that means? You're without excuse. Don't say, I can't help myself. I just couldn't help it. I just couldn't help it. I could say a thousand things right there, but I'm going to leave it alone. What a poor little baby. You just couldn't help yourself. You couldn't help yourself. You couldn't help yourself. You didn't know I could talk that high, did you? <laughs> Can't help yourself. Well, everybody understands everything. This gospel, this word of the Spirit talks about us. And it says you control in discipline. We're going to get to it in a second, but here it says you can control your body and you're supposed to live in a sacrificial way, which is just your reasonable service to God. Here's the good part, verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, here's the good part, by the renewing of your mind. You get this word, you discipline your mind because you can and you live a sacrificial life. I can't wait to tell you how I'm going to deal with this. Watch this. There will be some times that will be tough days in your marriage. There is not any two people that are not going to have some struggles. There's going to be some days that are very stormy in your marriage. But boy, let me tell you what this word says. According to Scripture, the mind is stronger than the emotions. And the mind is more reliable than feelings. Nothing wrong with emotions and feelings, but we are absolutely told that the Word of God and Christian principles says that your mind is stronger than your feelings and your emotions. And that 
mind filtered with God's word is strong enough to control what you do or do not do. Listen, young people, do not miss this. When both bride and groom commit their mind, their soul, their body, their spirit to God and one another, listen to this, feelings and emotions will grow in time to match that commitment. Because that's why marriage makes you better. Say amen. Number four, unconditional love. You know what un means? It means without <laughs> conditions. Unconditional love. So many today say, I will love you if. But unconditional love says, I will love you even if not. We must love our spouse even when we see flaws. Hang on. We're required to love our spouse even when they make us mad. I, I got to tell you this neat little story. When my wife and I married, we went on our whole three-day honeymoon. When we married, I had $55 in my pocket and a one-month paid-up of rent. And we could barely buy groceries. About three days after we married, we are having our first meal, and she, we sat at this little bitty table, and we had tea and, and whatever we had. I, I honestly don't remember, but my wife was bib biblical. She set before me a burnt offering. No. <laughs> she really didn't. <laughs> I love you. Black, no. Burn up. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, there's something you need to understand about marriage. If you don't understand the term paradigms, maybe I can help you. This, whatever her last name is, this is a paradigm. This is the way her family does things. That's the way it works over here. This is how it works. Whatever his last name is, this is their paradigm. This is how they do that. And the female paradigm home compared to the male paradigm home, when they come together, they're not the same. And what you have to learn is this. You respect these paradigms, but you leave this paradigm, and you leave this paradigm, and you got to make your own paradigm. And let me tell you, darling, that's going to take some adjustments. Everybody in this world should do things the Brooks way because that's the right way. My wife, we sit out at that meal. I drink glass of tea. In our house, when, when we get a glass empty, we sit four kids around, daddy on this end, mom on this end, we pour a glass of tea. When you get empty, we just shake that glass with ice in it, and there was a message in that, and then the person next to you hands it down to mom, she pours it full of tea, and you hand it back. How many of you know that just makes sense? What do you think shaking an empty glass of, of, of ice means? What do you think that means? What do you think that means? I mean, don't you have enough brains to keep your ears apart? Would you shake an empty glass of ice that's had tea in it, it means put tea in it. Doesn't it? <laughs> I can't get any friends here. I can't get any. I can't get. I shook my glass. Nothing happened. I, 
I went to drink some tea and there wasn't any in it. I shook it again, didn't think about it, took another bite, and I got my glass. There's nothing in it. So I pushed it over there and I said, Hey, when I shake my glass with ice, that means fill it with tea. And my wife said, Darling, I can hardly wait for that. You know what she said? She said, fill it yourself. Let's pray about that. Don't you dare give it. <laughs> Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Aren't you glad God gave us a sense of humor? Where in this world am I? <laughs> Unconditional love, I think. Oh, yeah, you have to love your mate even when they make you mad. So I have a question for you. Does the way you treat your mate or your fiancé or your girlfriend or boyfriend or your husband or wife, does the way you treat them indicate you have high regard for them? I got news for you, young ladies. If you're thinking about getting married or you're engaged or whatever, before you say I do, listen to me. If that young man that you're dating or you're engaged to, anything like that, if he does not treat you with respect, if he does not honor your parents, if he does not do everything he possibly can to try to tell you he loves you and get along with everybody in that clan and, and respect everybody around and will not put you first and foremost above everything to see that everybody's comfortable with you, I have news for you, he does not love you, he's in love with himself. I want you to know I dated my bride for four years. I did everything in this world I could. I did anything my father-in-law to be wanted me to do. I kissed up to my mother-in-law. I want you to know, and to this day, she's dead and gone. When she left, she thought I was the finest thing since Wheaties. Because <laughs> my father-in-law would do anything for me because I came in with humility and I earned their respect and I did everything I could to show them the most important person in this world to me is your daughter and I took care of her and they knew it so guys let me give you a little wisdom here when my wife made me mad one day again it's happened more than once and she hits driving twice. <laughs> and she got mad. The lovely darling. She said, I'll just go back home. And you know how godly a man I was? I said, go. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. But watch this, guys. If you're not this smart, you need to back up and get this smart. I said, you go. 
And it's an hour's drive. It's an hour and a half's drive. And I said, when you get there, here's what you're going to have. Your daddy's going to say, honey, I love you. I'll pray for you. And now that we've done that, get back down there where you belong. You know why? Because my father-in-law and mother-in-law take my side before they did hers. You know why? Well, you know why. (laughs) Unconditional love. Number five. No one but this one. No one but this one. That's how I wrote it. No one but this one. Godly marriage partners do not allow anyone or anything to get in the way of their building a marriage bond. Sexual intercourse with someone before marriage in the Bible is called fornication. Sexual activity with someone other than your mate after marriage is called adultery. And God's not going to change his mind about it. He never has. He never will. And I don't care what society says and they throw the rules out. This word is forever settled in heaven. And I'm going to tell you, go ahead, go ahead. But you're going to sow, you're going to reap. It's that plain, it's that simple. That's as straight as I can be. I know this world. I know that I stand as an archaic old thing. Pastor, you don't know the mistakes I made. Aren't you glad for the blood? Aren't you glad we can take communion? No, it's all behind us. But I'm going to tell you, no one but this one. Spiritually protect and guard your relationship. I got to hurry. Children are demanding. Friends can manipulate you. (laughs) I love to say this. In-laws can interfere. You were pretty quiet about that. Parents, grandparents, once they say I do, let them. And don't get involved unless they ask you. Boy, I, I, I can feel the glory of God coming around here. Listen, some men and women, don't you try to relive your life through your kids. You had your choice. They have their chance. Let them live it. This is their life. They're supposed to live it the way they want. Here's what you do. You start when they're in diapers and you put the right kind of background in them and you teach them responsibility and you bust their little backside and you teach them the world doesn't spin around you and you put the seed of understanding to the brain and you teach them God's Word and you teach them to be men and you teach them to be women and when they say, I do, they will be. But if you spoil them rotten and they marry, they're both spoiled rotten, they got trouble to start with. Let me just announce to you, things don't get better when you get married, to be honest with you. Most of the times they get worse. Well, hallelujah, pastor, for the good news. That's why we have to have the Lord. Let me tell you something. Did you see he worked it like a garden? There's the, my wife the other day, she said, would you help me do this? I just went, I don't want to help you do that. You know what I did? I did it. (laughs) Unbelievers, fellow workers, outside, Hollyweird, all these things outside. They can all begin to try to affect your marriage. They can bring divisions between a couple. I want to remind you, when you stood before a valve altar, you said... Cleave only to you. So here's what I'm telling you. In this one, 
no one but this one, you guard against any outside influence that diminishes your commitment to the purity in your marriage and faithfulness to that vow. You guard it, you keep it, don't ever walk out of it. Say amen. Number five, prefer your mate, I'll hurry. Paul wrote this instruction to the Christians in all relationships. Sometimes one person in a marriage can become selfish. Those are the blatant roots that can, can start problems. Sometimes one will get selfish with their time. And they'll exclude the other. And the other can feel neglected. So I just want to place this in something that's important. Marriage partners, time with the guys and time with the girls better be measured. This is going to happen here. It's going to end here. Because your spouse is to be preferred. You dedicate your life to that person, not to your friends. And if your friends aren't living it and they're having trouble, you spend too much time there, it can affect you. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Guard it. Number seven, and I'm through. Build each other up. We are all believers under construction. We all fail, we all sin, we all have faults. If we're truly under the blood of Christ, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and we are declared righteous in the high court of heaven. But on earth, we're in the process toward Christ-likeness. In no other relationship other than marriage is Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen more applicable. Listen to it. Watch this and I'm through. As iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. The closest relationship on planet earth is in marriage. You see things about the other that nobody else ever sees. And how many of you all know that we have things about ourselves we don't want anybody else to see? But in marriage, they're discovered, aren't they? And iron sharpens iron. So hear me. We should make each other a better person. It takes humility. It takes patience. It takes tenacity. It takes time. It takes Christ-likeness. But we better allow our mate to contribute to our maturation process. I want to tell you something. I'm a whole lot better person I was today than the day I married my wife. She has taught me things I could not imagine. It didn't come easy. It wasn't fun. But it's valuable. So I'm going to hit us pretty good. Don't cut your mate off so quickly. Don't be so touchy and easily offended. Don't respond to every situation in defensiveness. Because if you do that, Satan will see that you're always offended. There's always a hard head. There's always a stubbornness. There's always a fuss. And it's always demeaning and dividing. But here's the picture. Iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. God 
in his wisdom, in that commitment that says, I will stay, I will stay, I will give an account to God, I will be more like Christ, and I'm going to take this iron sharpening iron. God must and might be using the perception of your mate to polish all your rusty spots. And that is powerful. I want to publicly say, 50 years, that lady has made me so mad. 50 years, she has let me look at myself. And I'll say it in a million things that I didn't want to see and I didn't like. But by loving her and by commitment and by setting my mind to an attitude that says... God, I made a vow to you. I made a vow to her. I let her polish my life and look how I shine. Not to you, but in her eyes. I finally, in a letter, in a card, after 50 years, she said, I love you as much as I love Sean Connery. In case you don't know it, I just achieved status. <laughs> wow. You can write this down. I will not wear a skirt. Here's the picture principle, and I'm through. I've said that, hadn't I? Let us live God's picture of marriage in truth. And in love. In reality. Because that's God's picture. I do not want to defile God's picture of marriage. I dedicated myself to make it as close to the picture of God that I can. And I want to tell you, whatever status we have, whatever we have, my wife and I are pretty happy people. And we're not only in love with each other, but I want to tell you, we're in love with you. More than you can fathom. And I want to thank you for letting me be married to you for almost 32 years. I was just thinking over, I don't know how to divide five. What is it, fifths? Over three-fifths of 50, we've lived with you. Thank you for putting up with my faults. Thank you for looking over my ignorance. Thank you for loving me when I was unlovable. Thank you when I was hard-headed or stubborn or just goofy. Thank you that you stayed with me. Because of it, I cherish you. I want to tell you, couples, it's worth paying the prices.